Welcome to the Fast Casual QSR Web and Pizza Marketplace Podcast. Hello and welcome back to our podcast. I'm QSR Web and Pizza Marketplace Editor Shelly Whitehead and happy you've joined us today to help restaurant operators learn how to remain compliant with competing agency guidelines. As restaurateurs work through their plans for recovery, they are also tasked to meet new compliance guidelines from agencies like the CDC and OSHA. Competing terms of these guidelines pose a challenge for operators. To help your team navigate the landscape of compliance, with us today are Allison Dodd and Rosalind Stone. Dodd is a partner at the award-winning law firm Mesner Reeves, where she has an active litigation and trial practice. Stone is the COO of Zero Hour Health, an industry leader in managing health incidents for many of the nation's largest restaurant and food service change. So hello to you both. It's a pleasure to have you lead such an in-demand discussion today. Hi, thanks for having us. Let's begin with you, Allison. I think you have a bit of housekeeping here to do in the form of a legal disclaimer. Can you can you tell us that first? Yes, thank you, Shelley. So just a, yeah, a quick a quick legal disclaimer. Um, the information discussed on this podcast is not intended to be legal advice. It's for informational purposes only. Um, you should not act or refrain from acting on the basis of any content discussed today without first seeking advice from uh, an attorney or other professional um, entity. So with that, I'll turn it back to Shelley. Great. Let's just dive right in on this topic. Um, currently, the biggest issue most restaurant operators have dealt with involves changing and competing state and local regulations. So Tell us, how do operators remain up to date and manage conflicting guidance? Well, this is Allison. I would say um, the challenge is not only are there competing state, local, and federal guidelines, but now the resources the operators are using are not up to date necessarily online. So we've been advising clients to go directly to the source or have a resource you can reach out to on a day-by-day basis, such as Rosalind's company, um, to make sure you are in compliance. And I'll turn it over to Ro- if Rosalind has anything to add. Sure. I mean, this is a great question because, you know, from the beginning of COVID, from, from March of 2020, you know, the biggest issue that restaurant operators have faced are having competing um, regulations and guidance and, and it changing so incredibly rapidly. And, and it really hasn't slowed down. We, we thought it would get better. And, and maybe there was some period of time six months ago or so where it was a little bit better and we didn't have as many, as many um, difficult to navigate um, you know, roadblocks and, and, and minefields. Um, but, but here we are again and, and um, again have you know, the CDC issuing one set of guidance regarding masks you know, and, and now having local and, and state guidance um, that, that say differing things. So having really good and really quickly accessible resources is important. Having a relationship with your local health department is important. Having the phone number of your health inspector is important. 
Um, and, and using those resources regularly, not feeling like you're being a pain in the neck by asking the same question or asking you know, what, what may feel like elementary questions because we are still at a point in time where there are no questions that are too basic. Um, again, we thought that this would get better and, and for some minor period of time it did. And now we're back at a place where, you know, an example this past week, um, Washington State updated its guidance and required um, that COVID positive exclusions um, were to be 14 days instead of 10 days, which is a very difficult change for restaurant operators. And now um, several of the counties are waiving that 14 day requirement. Generally our advice is to always go with the most stringent guideline and, and we'll call Allison often late at night and ask this question. And it's almost always go with, go with, with the strictest guideline of competing guidelines, but Again, this continues to be a minefield for restaurant operators and one that needs daily attention. And I would so, just add to that real real quick is that, you know, we are, it's still on the operator to be in compliance regardless of if the regulations are conflicting or not. So even if you think in good faith you're complying, yet there's a stricter guidance out there, and then you have an inspector or, you know, some public health order designated body coming in and doing an investigation or an inspection and you get either charged with a penalty or a civil charge, um, you're still on the hook regardless of if you thought you were in compliance or not. So it's always the best advice is to take the most stringent application um, because you still are going to be on the hook if you get into, you know, arguing a ticket or a fine and that could impose criminal penalties, which you could lose like liquor licensing or even, you know, just the health department pulling, you know, your, your credentials, which is catastrophic to any restaurant. Allison, you raised a really good point about health inspections. We have been very fortunate that we've gone through almost a year or, or even more than a year where there have been very few standard or routine health inspections. And um, they are coming back. Um, the, the New York City Department of Health resumed full inspections um, this month, um, as did many others. So although we've had a reprieve, you know, it was very, very important that we continue to follow, especially all the, the health and sanitation guidelines that are required in, in health inspections. Um, but to remember that, that we are now, you know, heading back into the, um, into the standard landscape of having both health inspections and operating you know, while COVID still remains um, very much part of our daily reality. I just had one thing to add to that. And it was, we are also seeing um, health department inspections secondary to customer complaints of COVID. And then they're also doing the routine inspection at the same time. So I think to Rosalind's point, getting your operators prepped and ready to go, not only on COVID related inspection issues, but if a health department inspector shows up to be prepared for a full blown health department inspection as well. Um, and another issue I think operators need to be aware of with these health department inspections ramping back up is the issue with vaccinated and unvaccinated employees in the workforce and how you handle um, indoor mask mandates and you know, Rosalind, what you're seeing from, from some of your client restaurant operators. We are, seeing, um, we are seeing a lot of different things that are changing very rapidly. Um, there are some states that, haven't, um, that have barred employers from tracking vaccination status. Um, there are other states that are requiring um, tracking vaccination status. It has been a hot topic for our clients. 
we have implemented a vaccination tracking system for our clients. Some of them are using it aggressively, others are using them, uh, using it at a lesser level, um, in part because of these, this competing state guidance. Um, the indoor mask mandates, again, are ever-changing, and, and now we're seeing them having having loosened and then tightening back up. I don't know where it'll be in, you know, come September. Um, we expected that the summer surge wasn't necessarily going to be the surge that it, it, it has uh, turned out to be. We really thought that the next, um, that the seasonality would bring the next surge in the fall. Um, but um, vaccination tracking, um, it's posing some tremendous challenges. Employees being willing to report their vaccination status. Um, employees getting vaccinated versus not getting vaccinated. These are all incredibly complicated issues. Are you getting questions about um, mandatory vaccinations? Yes, we are getting a lot of questions about whether um, companies can require them, which, you know, we know the answer is yes. Um, but is that, you know, the best practice? Um, we are seeing, you know, quite a bit of litigation stemming from the mandated vaccines that companies are implementing. Um, so far, as of late July 2021, um, these have all been dismissed. I think recently um, a court upheld the Indiana University mandatory vaccination program for all students and staff returning to campus. Um, but considerations are, you know, even if you have a mandatory vaccination program, you still have to have some carve outs for people that have disability related issues that can't get a vaccination or a religious accommodation. Um, so, you know, typically it's more of a best practice to strongly encourage and provide the resources for employees to get vaccinated um, because it just, it gives you a little more um you know, risk adverseness, I guess I would say, as opposed to full-blown mandating um, vaccinations. And I don't know if you're seeing something similar, Rosalind. We are seeing something similar. It's been a really interesting transition. Before vaccinations came out, we were hearing from CEOs of major restaurant groups almost daily who thought they were headed towards requiring vaccinations then no one did for very good reasons. It's complicated. There are people who can't be vaccinated. Vaccine availability and getting appointments was challenging. Um, and we went to, um, you know, to a point where, where, where some of our clients were doing a really good job of incentivizing vaccination or encouraging vaccination in, you know, in very real ways. You know, and then we reached a point you know, by, by early summer where everybody who wanted to be vaccinated was vaccinated and there's incredible regionality in who's not vaccinated. And, um, and that's very challenging for operators. Um, so, so again, there was this, you know, a lot of debate pre-vaccine pre and this intention to potentially mandate vaccination that didn't happen. And then suddenly in the last couple of weeks, we're getting those questions again. Um, as fewer employees got vaccinated than, than restaurant groups expected, as um, it's, it's hit certain ge you know, geographic areas much more heavily, both in, in occurrence of COVID and lack of vaccinations, which go hand in hand. And I would tell you that in the last week, we've had more questions about returning to the, or revisiting the concept of mandatory vaccination than we had in, in months. And it's gonna be really interesting to see how it shakes out. It is challenging to mandate vaccinations. And um, I, I'm not sure that any of our clients wanna be the test case on that. Absolutely. And it's also, we're getting a lot of questions about how to deal with customers who aren't vaccinated and refuse to wear masks um, and whether um, operators can ask for some sort of vaccine passport if, you know, 
the cases continue to have this surge. And what we're seeing kind of now in the legal landscape, and it's mainly the conservative states that have looked into this or even are, you know, commented on it, that, you know, vaccine passports are largely a no-go for customers specifically. Um, but that is a consideration for, you know, employers moving forward, just, you know, from a, you know, risk analysis perspective of, you know, protecting your, your workers and other um, people that are unable to get vaccinated. And I don't think we have great answers yet because it's still kind of shaking out in the legal landscape. But so far, it seems like that's been a no-go, whereas in other countries, they've been using that with pretty great success. You know, we've dealt, we've dealt with um, vaccination requirements with regard to hepatitis A in this industry for some time. And we thought that that would provide a better roadmap for where we're going with COVID vaccination than it has. Um, hepatitis A vaccinations became mandatory for for school-age children and, and for some other things in 18 or 20 states, a couple of more states have rolled it out in the last in the last year or two. And it's really interesting how that hasn't become the um, uh, the marker for, for COVID vaccination that we expected it to be. Maybe after we get beyond the emergency use authorization, which I expect, you know, the, the latest timeline we've heard is that Pfizer expects to have full use authorization in, in early 2022 we might see that change. Well, and that kind of ties into the new OSHA guidance that they issued and how the, the emergency, you know, the ETS standard is really only applicable to the healthcare industry still and doesn't apply to restaurants and how that kind of threw operators for a loop where, you know, OSHA didn't really address um, how restaurant operators should have heightened um, protocols in terms of OSHA compliance, which, I mean, was surprising from a, le from a legal perspective. OSHA just always seems to be very interested in getting their hands in there and, um, you know, creating <laughs> conflicting um, information with the CDC. So that was, that was a surprise to us. But also, you know, you have state-specific regulations like Cal-OSHA, which are just super stringent and complicated. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been struggling with how to have uh, advise operators on how to effectively operate within those very stringent requirements. Um, Cal-OSHA is posing some really significant challenges to our, to our clients in the last, well, in the last months and certainly the last weeks. Um, you know, Cal OSHA is requiring that you report three plus positive confirmed positives, but then there's some, some varying steps after that. You're supposed to offer employees aren't really taking advantage of it. Um, the, the latest um, emails that have come out after the positives um, also refer to requiring everyone, and this is back to the indoor mask mandate. California lifted its indoor mask mandate, um, but these OSHA um, letters are saying that everyone is required to wear a mask for at least two weeks. Um, after you've had a, a third confirmed positive. What constitutes a third confirmed positive? Is it a rapid test? Is it PCR test? It's, it, it, there's, it is such um, a confusing landscape for certainly the independent operators, you know, but, but um, you know, every organization in particular, those that are following one set of operating guidance in the rest of the country, and then, you know, California is an example with a different set of operating guidance in, in California. Um, were you surprised by Cal OSHA's approach to this? I wasn't surprised by Cal OSHA's approach, but I was surprised by the federal OSHA's approach, just basically saying most employers no longer need to take steps to prevent their workers from a COVID-19 exposure. 
I expected it to be more in line with Cal OSHA, obviously not as stringent, but as we know, California is always the biggest hurdle for operators um, for compliance purposes. So it doesn't surprise me, but you know, I think a lot of operators were hoping for a little more guidance from, um, from OSHA to kind of help support what they do with, you know, fully vaccinated employees. And, and instead it, you know, basically only deals with what to do with unvaccinated employees, which is similar to, you know, the, the previous guidance. It's a mess and it continues to be a mess. Um, and, and, um, again, you know, we really thought there'd be more light at the end of the tunnel by this, by this point. And in fact, there's, you know, in some ways less clarity than there, than there's been. Um, but it again, highlights the need for having a dynamic group of resources that you can turn to, um, and to go ahead and, and use those, those resources freely or, um, you know, you know, or you're going to, going to land in, in trouble. And just to add to that, I would say, be very wary of where you're getting your, your resource um, and making yes. sure it's actually up to date. If you have a contact, and I think Rosalind, you touched on this early, earlier, a phone call, a, an in-person conversation, a phone conversation with someone to just confirm compliance um, as opposed to, you know, doing a quick Google search and hoping that it's the most up to date. That's, you know, we're worsening the most risk for the operators that are, you know, trying to do it themselves. I would agree. Um, you know, someone asked me recently about, you know, whether I was more concerned about the OSHA standards or, or CDC guidance. And unfortunately, the answer is the OSHA, you know, the OSHA guidance or the OSHA, OSHA guidelines, because most of what the CDC is recommending are, in fact, that recommendations. Um, but, but the regulatory agencies are the lo- your state and local departments of health. Um, OSHA, your state OSHA, um, and then there were some other state agencies in, in, in many jurisdictions. Is that what you're, what you're seeing? Yeah, and then those public health, those local public health orders, which are binding. So you need to be aware of what is the enforcement body as opposed to what is a recommendation. And I think that's a really important um, distinction that operators may not realize. I agree. And one of the things that we often talk about, and this particularly comes up um, regularly with regard to boil water orders, you know, are that you never want to be the only one doing something or not doing something. So, you know, we, we talk about it with regard to boil water orders, where if, if it, it appears that a boil water order allows you to remain open, but the restaurants around you are closed, our advice is to close. If you see that other restaurants around you are enforcing a mask mandate, but your local health inspector is turning the other way, I would take that, you know, take that under consideration and under guidance. And you, you don't ever want to be doing less than anyone else. You don't ever want to be standing up out there on your own unless there's, you know, a very, very strong reason to do so. Um, that, um, you know, again, this isn't over putting for your employees, you know, putting your employees safety first, putting your patrons or your customers safety first is what's going to get you where you need to be, regardless of the, the competing guidance and regulations. And I guess to kind of wrap up, I guess our biggest takeaway is follow the most stringent requirement that you can find and absolutely know who to contact and have a resource available for questions because it is ever changing and who knows what's going to happen in a week, a month, six months. So knowing your resources is really key. Thank you ladies for these invaluable insights. 
And, and now before we end today, I'm sure many of the restaurant operators in our audience would appreciate having Rosalind and Allison as points of contact for any follow-up questions or information. So you can contact Mesner Reeves, Allison Dodd at a Dodd, that's A-D-O-D-D, at Mesner, M-E-S-S-N-E-R.com, or 303-454-2159. Rosalind from Zero Hour Health can be contacted at rstone at zerohourhealth.com as well. We plan to have Mesner Reeves expert attorneys back on for a discussion about recovery through renegotiation of vendor and real estate contracts. Be on the lookout for updates about that podcast set to publish in October. And until then, we wish you all a great day and great business.